morning. Hey, someone got an extra hour of sleep. I appreciate that. Good morning. If this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Uh, welcome. We've been working our way through John's Gospel, chapters uh, 14 on into 17. Uh, it's Jesus' farewell discourse, and we've been looking at what Jesus has to say about what we as the people of God should believe. And this is so important because the church, as a church, we believe as the people of God, uh, to be a member of this church is for you to take responsibility for this people and for this people to take responsibility for you. Uh, for you to give your life to help other people see Jesus and for other people to give their lives to help you see Jesus for who he is. And one of the things that we need in that is for us to be on the same page about who he is and what he has said. Uh, so I will go ahead and pray for us and we will dig in today. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day. We assemble for your glory and our joy Jesus, may we never forget that you've paid the price for our sins, but you've also made us free. Not only did you raise us from the dead, you've given us life. Not only uh, did you call us by name, but you've made us your own. That we are your people, we are your family. We live for your glory and to enjoy you. And we, may, we never forget that you've given us your word to hold fast to. And so I pray that what happens here today that is from your word would be exalted and we would all be excited about what your word says and the things that are just of me would be forgotten as they deserve to be. So Jesus, please be with us now. Send your spirit to uh, empower this time. Guide us and lead us uh, into your presence and into your glory. And may we enjoy you much today as a result. We love you, Lord. Amen. All right, go ahead and go with me to John's Gospel in chapter 16, starting in verse 4. Now, we did half of the verse last week, uh, so we're in the middle of half a verse, uh, half a verse in on 16 and 4. Uh, recently, uh, there was a uh, news story on a thing called the White Horse Inn, which if you've never heard of it, it's a great little program uh, put on by a guy named Michael Horton, who is a great, great theologian. Uh, anyways, in this news story, I interviewed a guy who wrote a book last year called Present Shock, which is a play off the book Future Shock, which was famous in the 70s, and no one remembers anymore because... Hey, we live in the future and we're not shocked. Uh, but one of the things that he pointed out is that we as people who are busy Twittering and Facebooking and using our phones to do 10,000 things uh, are losing and have lost a sense of the things that were important that came before us and, and we've lost a sense of the importance of the future and we are living in present shock uh, where we've lost the beginning and the end and we just kind of live in the middle and this has great consequences for us and the way we interact with other people and it has great consequences for us as Christians if we're not careful because we need to understand that God uh, has revealed himself in history and yes, history has a beginning, a middle and an ending like a story, like a real story. Uh, and it's so important for us to understand this because the story says that God, in His grace and in His love and in His mercy, created not because He had to, but because He chose to for His glory and for our joy. He created human beings not because He was lonely or needed you, but as an extension of His love and His awesomeness. And He created, and human beings broke it, unfortunately. But God being good and not just a human being, because usually when I break something, I'm working on a fence in my backyard for Nigerian dwarf goats, and when you break something, your T-post, it doesn't go in, you want to huck it or throw it or put it in the garbage or whatever. God didn't do that to us. God didn't just throw humanity in the garbage. God made a promise to fix what we broke. 
God in His grace and mercy promised to send Messiah, the one who would come, who would wipe every tear from every eye, who would pay the price for sins, who would put the world back the way it belonged and would put His people back the way they belonged. And not only that, but would invite the world into the family of God. And what did He do? He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, the middle, the really, really good part. Jesus came and lived and died and rose to save us from ourselves, not because of anything we've done, but everything that He has done. Praise the Lord. This is good news, is it not? Church, you awake? It's good news. This is good news. This is who you are because of Him. You are forgiven. But what is our problem is that sometimes we forget that not only has He saved us from our sin to life, and not only has He saved us to heaven, where we will be with God forever when He puts all of creation back the way it's supposed to be, He has saved you and I into this story as He redeems all things. You are the church of Jesus. You are His people, and He has a purpose for the people of God to glorify Him and to carry the message that Jesus saves sinners like us from death to life, from slavery to freedom. And if we miss that you and I are in the middle of that story, we lose the focus and the purpose of our lives. We get so stuck in the present we used to get so stuck in what's happening on Facebook or on the internet or what's happening in the PTA meeting or just getting the lunch pack so your kid could get to school, for goodness sakes, that we forget that you pack that lunch for the glory of God and the freedom of Jesus who's paid the price for your sins and has allowed you and empowered you to make that sandwich you make and put in the bake count for eternity. It counts for eternity that you're loving and serving your children and helping point them to Jesus. That peanut butter sandwich counts for eternity. Have fun making your peanut butter sandwich tomorrow to the glory of God, please. Now today, we look at the progression of the story of God here in chapter 16, verse 4. Jesus' last words as he's headed to the cross and as Jesus points us to the reality of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Uh, um, we need to see that all of this has a purpose. And it's history moving down the line and down the pipe of history towards the kingdom of God. Toward the time in which God redeems the world fully and human beings aren't just on the ski slopes or the golf course or whatever thing forever, but with Jesus face to face forever. Forever. And something I hope to do as we look with our few moments uh, at these words, as we talk about these heavy words like righteousness and sin and judgment, I need you to see that everyone believes in sin. Everybody believes there's right and there's wrong. Even the guy who's super over-the-top, post-post-modern and believes in nothing, you're sitting at the table with him at the cafeteria at school, and you say, well, I believe in something, and he gets all angry at you because you believe in something, and apparently the sin in his world is that you believe in anything because he doesn't believe in anything. Now, of course, if he doesn't believe in anything, who cares, right? I've seen it happen. That's a real story. It happened in my life. Likewise, righteousness. We have righteousness. Now, everyone uh, attacks that on to something else. Maybe it is not believing in anything. Maybe it is, uh, you know, which way you vote up or down here on Tuesday. Whatever it might be, we attach righteousness somewhere. I think everybody does it. And even judgment, because how can you have judgment unless you say something's right or it's wrong? Uh, and, and at the same time, we as Christians sometimes get painted in this corner. Oh, they're the judgmental guys. They think there's right and there's wrong. Just like every other human being on the planet, we're just informed by Jesus on that. Okay? So let's go ahead and dig into the text. Chapter 16, right in the middle of verse 4. 
uh, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Now, what are these things? These things mean everything that he just spoke about. Two weeks ago, we talked about the reality that as the church and the people of God were to love one another, and we do so in response to how much God has loved us. So if you say, well, yeah, being, I know Jesus was generous to me, and I know he loved me, and he, and he served me, but it's hard to be generous, and uh, I would love people more if I could, but I... Uh, you know, I know he did that, and I should. And we start shitting all over ourselves, saying, well, he did this, so I ought to do this, which is absolutely right. God's holy character demands that there are things that because he did this, we ought to do this. But what I think is that if you don't understand how much Jesus Christ has loved you by entering into human history, drinking the cup of God's wrath and justice so that you don't have to, and giving you complete and utter freedom to love and serve God and others, then you don't actually know that story and it's not about me intellectualizing it for you or making it clear. It's that truth continually being told to you. God loves you and there's nothing you did to earn his love. At some point in time, I run out of words to try and articulate that to you because his love is so unspeakable and ineffable and huge because the weight of my sin is so massive. And the weight of his love crushes it. And at some point in time, I actually run out of words that and then it's just time to worship uh, likewise last week jesus used the word hate like 15 times in that paragraph i didn't count them still the reality is, is if we love jesus the world will hate us if you've never heard the gospel before and you're like yeah this whole forgiveness of sin thing that sounds nice let me tell you there's there's something that goes along with it loving jesus is not always the most popular move in your life but man, does loving Jesus and being loved by Jesus way outweigh anyone's opinion about you or anything anyone ever does to you because of it. Ineffable, right? Because his love crushes. They go together. Now, he spoke these things to us. Not only that, but all this is in the context of the cross that's coming. So what did he say? I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. So Jesus has been walking with these people for three years. They've seen... They've seen the promises of the Old Testament come to fruition. They've seen blind people get sight. They've seen thousands fed. They've seen demons cast out. They've had the good news preached to them. But the thing about the disciples that's interesting as you follow it, it seems that the closer we get to the cross, the less they understand what's actually happening. And here they don't quite get it. But now... But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. They don't quite understand, but Jesus is talking about the cross. And they're starting to freak out just a little bit. Because in their opinion, the way this thing should resolve is Jesus, the Messiah, the conquering king who was promised, should get on that donkey that they all said, Hosanna to our king, and get out a sword and go and fight Pontius Pilate and kick them out of uh, Palestine or, or Israel or first century, however you want to call that, into Jerusalem and rule as the king that was promised from the Old Testament. And you know what? They're actually right to think that on many levels because the Old Testament says it all over the place. The thing they've missed is not actually that Jesus is going to come and conquer and Jesus is going to come and vindicate the righteous and Jesus is going to deal with all wrong and Jesus is going to judge the nations and he is going to judge the world. It's actually that they've missed the scope 
They've missed the magnitude of the glory of God in Jesus Christ as he wipes every tear from every eye. And they've missed the magnitude of the new heavens and the new earth and the coming king and what he ultimately will do. At the same time, they've also missed the cross is coming. They've missed a key component of how he's going to vindicate the righteous and how he's going to defeat his enemies. The only innocent man who ever lived is going to die on the cross so that the people of God who have sinned mightily against God can live. So he can say it's finished. So he can say it's paid in full. So he can say of you right now, if you are a Christian, clean, clear, cleansed, free. For freedom, he set you free. For life, he has set you free. Satan has no hold on you. Sin has no hold on you. Death has no grip on you because they're conquered in Christ. You're free. You're free. I'm pleading with you. You're free. Live. Live. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This, by the way, is, in my opinion, one of the most scandalous, crazy, and even hard to understand, yet clearly articulated pieces of the whole Bible. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. I mean, we seem to say, well, couldn't Jesus just, you know, do that whole Satan, sin, death thing, and the Pontius Pilate thing, and rule from Jerusalem? He will. It's coming. He's going to return. He's going to set up shop. He's going to rule from Jerusalem. He's going to do the new heavens and the new earth. And it's coming. It's coming. But it's to your advantage that I go. I think the main focus, mostly from the context, it's not just the cross. It is to your advantage, by the way, that Jesus paid the price for your sins and loved you so that loved you when you were unlovely and saved you from yourself by dying where you deserve to die and giving you life that he really ought to have. He gave to you. Yes, this is to your advantage. But read the context. We want to be careful. Keep it in the context. I don't want Jesus to say something that he's not saying. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I, if I do not go away, the helper, capital H, helper, if you're in the ESV. Your Bible should have a capital H, by the way. If you're in an English Bible, it should be a capital H, helper. Parakaletos. We talked about it at length when we talked about the Holy Spirit. You can go back and listen to the parakaletos, the helper, the one who will empower. Now, what's amazing is that Jesus in the, in the Greek is called the helper, the parakaletos. And also now the Holy Spirit's called the helper. So Jesus has come. I've been with you three years, he says. I've shown you the truth, and I'm going to go, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be to your advantage. How? I do not go away. The, the, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, the people of God believe the Bible, right? They've been waiting for Messiah. They've been waiting for these mighty things to happen. So they know their Bible. They know that Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 says that in the Old Covenant, the law is written uh, written down, but in the New Covenant, when the New Covenant happens, the law will be written on your hearts. And they know Joel 3, when it says, the Lord is going to pour out His Spirit on all His people. And they know Ezekiel 36, 26, that God is going to take our heart of stone and take it and put and give us a heart of flesh and pour out who? The Holy Spirit upon us. 
Now you have to understand in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, there are times when the Holy Spirit is manifest. Uh, the first is actually really fascinating, by the way, not that we have a lot of time for it, but in Exodus, craftsmen are empowered by the Holy Spirit to make the Ark of the Covenant. That's amazing to me. Talk about things you could talk about all day long, but we don't have time. Moving on. <laughs> uh, Kings are filled with the Spirit. Prophets are filled with the Spirit. People have the Spirit upon them, and, and the Spirit comes upon them, and they proclaim the truth of God and what is, what is coming. And yet, they were told in the Bible, in the Torah, and in the prophets, there's going to be a time that's coming where that thing that happened to some guy sometimes is going to happen to everybody. That should blow our minds, by the way. Let's go, oh. Romans 8, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sins, cleansed you from all your unrighteousness, and made you right so that you can be called holy, so that God in his holiness and the Holy Spirit can come up and take up residence inside of you. When you make peanut butter sandwiches for your kids tomorrow, you are an indwelt Holy Spirit person making sandwiches to the glory of God. Takes the mundane and goes, ah. But not only that, they know something. And we don't always pick up on this because we're not as familiar with our Old Testaments as we uh, ought to, a little bit, as you ought to be, right? If we're reading the Old Testament, we know something else comes along with the Holy Spirit, and it's the day of the Lord. That's the day of judgment. Now, that sounds scary, and I think there's some reasons for it. We'll talk about it in a second. But at the end of the day, God is going to come and separate the sheep from the goats. God is going to come and separate the righteous from the unrighteous. And God is ultimately going to come and vindicate the righteous. Vindicate is a powerful word. This is the promise that's over and over and over and over again in the prophets. Sometimes, if I can just pick on us for a moment, as Americans, as people with stuff, as people who, persecution, yeah, it's, it's, the heat's getting turned up a little bit. I'm not going to say it's not. People losing their businesses, t-shirt shops, uh, bakeries and things for different reasons. Heard about a couple in Idaho they might even put in the can. That's jail, by the way. I should just say jail. <laughs> heat's getting turned up, right? Heat's getting turned up. But when you imagine the Assyrians at your door, taking everybody away. They've, they've taken 29,000 plus people from Israel and Israel's just gone and you're in Jerusalem and the Assyrians are at the gate. And God says, I'm going to take care of this. It's not going to look the way you think it's going to look, but I am going to take care of this. They're waiting, right? They're waiting. There are times when you and I, Jesus just said last week, and don't, you got to connect these, right? I think the reason we come off the heels when we're talking about the world hating you is going to be there's times that because you love Jesus, because you believe the Bible, because you follow the Bible, or you do what the Bible says, people, and Jesus even said last week, church people are not going to like you. In fact, they're going to hate you. And what do we do? Do we act the way the world acts? Do we return their blow for a blow? No, we turn the other cheek. Even if church folk use worldly methods on us, we turn the other cheek. We don't answer reviling with reviling. We keep our mouths shut. Let them revile. The righteous will be vindicated, but it's not always on the timeline that they think it's going to be on. In fact, it rarely is. God's timeline is always God's timeline. Okay, let's keep talking. Uh, here we are. Verse 8. And when he comes, day of the Lord stuff here. What I just say? Talk about the day of the Lord. Why did I do that? Verse 8 is why. 
And when he comes, he will convict the world. Now, this word convict, this is the same word we get, word we get in um, the Timothy letter in chapter 4 when he says, Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. Rebuke. Uh, rebuke and uh, there's another one in the ESV, but the word's rebuke. The one we're looking for is rebuke. Call people out on bad doctrine, Timothy. With all patience and kindness, mind you. Don't forget the rest of the verse. But here it is, convict. It has a very legal sense. It's bringing evidence out. It's, it, it's calling people out, convicting the world. The world. Now remember, we've been talking about the world and John's, John's understanding. The world is all the things that are organized against God and his people in this context. All the stuff that's pushing on the gospel. All the stuff that's pushing on God's people. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And judgment. All right, let's go on. Verse 9. We'll unpack all of those things. Concerning sin. Concerning sin. Verse 9, there it is. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. Romans Chapter 3, verse 21. But now, where are we in the story? We're on the other side of the resurrection. But now, the righteousness of God, this is Paul, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Old covenant, I will be your God, you will be my people if you walk in my ways. New covenant, I will be your God and you will be my people. I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. We're in the new covenant now. So it's not about following every, uh, the fancy word in Hebrew is dot and tittle, <laughs> which are the names of little things. Yod and tittle are the little, little teeny tiny dots in Hebrew. It's about Jesus. The law was pointing to Messiah. The law was pointing to his righteousness, but now has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets, don't forget this, bear witness to it. If you say, I'm a new covenant Christian, why should I care about the Old Testament? Because the law and the prophets, the Torah and the Nabi, point to the reality of Messiah's coming. And he said, I fulfilled them, not abolished them. Matthew chapter 5. Through Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction between anybody, anybody, anybody. For all, you and me and everybody else, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's important is we actually read this verse and the rest of the context. People love to like whip that one out. All of a sudden, fall short of the glory of God. Yes, absolutely. What else do we know? This is what else we know. And there's an and there. Why do we stop at the end of 23? It's only a semicolon. Don't be afraid of the semicolon. Keep reading. Vicious semicolon. Messing with our theology. Uh, 24. Oh, it's a comma even. Comma, that's not even that intense. And are justified by his grace as a gift. What do we know? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What do we know? And I stand right before God because Jesus Christ has paid the price for all my sins. Praise the Lord. Period. You can't earn it. Period. I'll keep reading because it's really good. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith 
This was to show us God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. He let you live to get to here to hear the truth. He was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of him who has faith in Jesus Christ. He's just and the justifier. What does this mean? It means he's into justice. What does justice mean? He doesn't just sweep it under the rug. He doesn't just let it go. This is my favorite illustration for it because it's the only illustration I've ever thought up. You're driving down the road. You're on the highway. And I use it because it really does help us understand this concept. When you're on the road, you're driving down the highway. You are speeding, and you see a state trooper, and he's got his radar gun, and he shoots you. And the first thing you do is you pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Lord Jesus Christ, may I not get my insurance screwed up? May I not have to pay the ticket? I don't have the money right now. If you just let me go, Jesus, please. And he sees that you're in a minivan. He says, all right, this time. And you go on, and you praise the Lord. And then five minutes later, you're driving down the road, and suddenly somebody cuts you off. You're like, where's a cop when you need him? You want mercy for you. You want justice for everybody else. You want street justice. He punched him, he gets punched. You want street justice. We, we have a, a thing inside of us that wants street justice. This for that. An eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. But God being just doesn't let anything go. All your sins on the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus saying, I'll take that sin. I'll drink that cup so you don't have to. He's both just because he didn't let any of your sin go but he's the justifier for being the one to pay the price for your sin. That's good stuff right there. I don't know if you guys got that extra hour of sleep, but that's good stuff right there. Why is this important? It pertains directly to our verse. Go back with me to John. So what did he say? It's always good. If you've got your paper Bible, I'll make a table on my lap. You take your finger, you put it here, and you go with me to the other spot, you put your finger there. I know, phones, everyone's got a phone, you love your phone, I'm not picking on you if you're using your phone right now, because 99% of the room of people in the room are using their phone for their Bible. But man, I love a good paper Bible. I love a good paper Bible. You can put notes, you can put your finger, you can find it. If you want to use your phone, you are free in Christ to use your phone. I'm just saying there's something valuable to be able to say, what did he say? And what that verse sounded nice, and he read it with passion, and yeah, Jesus is the justifier, but what does that have to do with John at all? Got to keep me honest. It has everything to do with John, by the way. Here we go. And uh, back in 19, did I lose my place? That's horrible. <laughs> Eight. And when he comes, he wouldn't, yeah, we read that. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is the difference between you and you before you met Jesus? Let's not even pick on anybody else. Let's pick on you or me. I got a sweater and a mic lapel and some pants. And I make sure I'm up out of bed on Sunday. And I get there and I go to church and I drink coffee and I do stuff. Put on my Sunday best. Your Sunday best save you. No. Sunday best do not save you. What is the difference between me in my parents' living room reading a Gideon Bible in total rebellion against God and in his grace and mercy moves? Because you know what? I didn't have time between reading the Bible other than getting on my face and crying and telling Jesus I'm sorry, feeling it, the weight of it, and knowing it. 
I'm sorry for all of it. I'm sorry for 22 years. I'm sorry. But that sorry was not what saved me. What saved me? The cross. What saved me? Jesus saved me. What saved me? The Holy Spirit saved me. The difference between B.C. and A.D. Andrew Pack is the Jesus of the Bible who saved me from myself. What keeps you saved? What makes you a Christian today and tomorrow and the day after that? You behave? You do good? You make peanut butter sandwiches for the glory of God? No. You make peanut butter sandwiches for the glory of God because Jesus has saved you. You do it as an act of worship and gratitude because he has saved you. You do it with awe and reverence making peanut butter sandwiches because of what he did on that cross to make you his own. Period. You can't earn it. This is what separates the gospel from every other thing on the planet. Let's keep going. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. Okay? Ten. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Why will we see Jesus no longer? Because he's done. Uh, Psalm 110. He's seated, ruling and reigning at the right hand of God on high, waiting for the day that God puts his enemies as a footstool under his feet. The Lord said to my Lord, Psalm 110, Yahweh said to Adonai, proper name of God, says to Adonai, which means God. God said to God, welcome to the Trinity. God said to God, Father said to the Son. You could say that. It's not what it says in Hebrew, but you could say it. His righteousness, I mean, I, let's not lose. I, I can never say enough that we want to be a people of grace. You know, that we're forgiven, loved, we didn't earn it. We never want to be people who miss the love of God. God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. God doesn't have a tank of love that gets drained out and needs to be refilled with your sorry, you know, sorry statements or, or, or paying penance. God loves you in an infinite way. He loves you more than you will ever love him or any other thing ever, period. Amazing. But let us not forget his holiness and his righteousness and his character. All light, no dark, all good, no bad, all right, all the time. Only one who's that way, by the way. Only one who's that way all the way. You want to be a parent who tries to be all right all the time? You're not going to say sorry to your kids, which you need to do sometimes, turns out. Right? I'm just standing up here by myself, and it was like, mm. <laughs> it's, it's true. Your job as a parent is not to show your kids how good you are. Your job as a parent is to show your kids how good Jesus is. The way you show your kids how good Jesus is is when you screw up, you say, son, daughter, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. You need Jesus, and so do I. Judgment. Everyone's favorite word. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, because Satan is judged. Now remember, uh, in John's gospel, there's a direct link between the stuff of the world and the stuff of the enemy. You're with Jesus or you're with Satan. Can I just say that? It's not popular, right? You're with Jesus or you're with Satan. 
The spiritual head of the family of God, his name is Jesus. The spiritual head of the family of darkness, the dominion of darkness, the prince of this world, Satan. The spiritual head of the dominion of, or the, pardon me, the human head of the dominion of darkness, his name's Adam. Good news, we have a new Adam. The physical uh, uh, head of the earthly family is the new Adam, Jesus Christ. You've been transferred from death to life and you're with Jesus now. You're with Jesus now. Now God is going to vindicate the righteous. God is going to judge the right from the wrong. Go with me to Revelation chapter 20. Now mind you, pay close attention. When is this going to happen according to John? Now you're really wishing you had a paper Bible. Because what did it say in, back in 9? 9? 10. Now I wish I had a paper Bible. When? When is the ruler of this world judged? Already, someone got it. Someone got it already. Already, and here's when it comes to fruition. Uh, I'll just read it starting in 20 and 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. It's prophetic, by the way, if you haven't picked that up. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now, put a spot in your mind on that last little clause, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. Okay, now... Come back to 15 just one second. So in the judgments, the books are opened up. The great uh, karma dilly, good and bad, put on the scale. All your good stuff, all your bad stuff. What's our problem? Romans 3.23 is our problem. When you put it on the scale, our infinite offenses to an infinite God are just that. The scale goes, boop. Right? Quickly. Quickly. Here's the good news. That's the bad news. Everyone always says, when you ask the question, here's the good news, the bad news. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. They always say bad news first. I don't know why. I like good news. And if any one's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So what does that mean? Satan. Demons, everything organized against God is already judged. Jesus Christ already paid the price. Satan's already defeated. Uh, sin has already been dealt with. We're in the now, not yet kingdom on this movement towards the kingdom of God. We're now where you're loved, you're forgiven, you're made new, you're given a new heart, you're a new person, and yet we're living in this Colossians reality, right, of taking off the old person and putting on the new. We're living in this reality of turning from sin and turning to Jesus, turning from the old family to the new family, right? Just me? That's not how I want to be. I want to be like Jesus. And so I turn from my sin and turn to Christ. You're in the new family. So when we stand there, and it all gets put on the scales, and goes, boop, what happens? Oh, no, 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 his name's not there. His name's in the other book. Get in line for the other book. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, her? Other book. 
That guy, other book. That guy, other book. That gal, other book. That one, other book. Other book, other book, other book, other book. And all of a sudden, that scale goes, whoop, goes away, and Jesus says, that guy's with me. Nope, paid for all that. That's clean. Clean the scale, clear it off. Them, oh yeah, they're with me. Come on, yep, you in here. And so as Christians, we're not saying, hey, be good like us. Hey, Christianity's not not sinning. We say there's a cross. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins and to make us his own. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, period. Without exception. All who call on the name, confess with your lips and believe with your heart, no matter how rotten, dirty of a sinner you are or how clean and righteous you are, apart from this, there's no salvation. But in this, there's room. Come on in. There's room here. It's already judged and it's already dealt with. And in that moment, the just will be justified. Right? You stand in the book line. Not in the, I put a sweater on on Sunday line, right? Because this is all I got. This is not much. Got it at the outlet mall. <laughs> now, here's our problem. We have a tendency as Christians to live as the other book kind of people. We have a tendency to default. This is, this is going to be the case for Islam, Seventh-day Adventists, really many Buddhists. I know it's very nuanced, so hey. Karma, right? Good, bad. Have I done enough good things to get into the kingdom? We default there. Well, I did a bad thing, so I better do two good things, and then we'll even it out. We default to the two books that get opened up with the good and the bad things. We should actually default to the covering of that other book. Yeah, I sinned. My name's in the book. Yeah, I fell short. So did you. But it's not about you, it's about me. Name's in the book. I don't plead, I'll try harder next time not to do that. I plead, Jesus saves sinners like me. That's our only hope. That's our only hope. Which book do you default to? Uh, five quick observations about this text. About judgment. About righteousness. About sin. Uh, number one, God is at work in history, you may be a righteous person who needs some vindication. Might be the case. You might not be vindicated until the last day. Christians all over the world, I mean, we've become a little awake to it. It's happening in Syria and Iraq. People targeting Christians specifically. Where we sit on that thing, I don't care. I'm telling you, people are getting hurt. You might become awake to what's happening in the 1040 window. You might become awake to people targeting Christians and killing Christians around the world. They don't get vindicated, right? We get home and we put them up on a thing and we make a poster and we say, remember this guy and pray for these people. But he just died and went home to be with Jesus. He will be vindicated, though, one day. God's at work in history. And all these things are moving towards the kingdom of God. All these things are moving toward uh, the new heavens and the new earth and God's restoration of all things. And you and I are on that trajectory. Number two, God's story is our story. Salvation's not fire insurance. Salvation's not, cool, I became a Christian. 
you know, it was at a Striper concert in 87, and I'm just kind of hitting cruise control from here on out. You need to see the invitational nature of the gospel. How is God going to do these things? How is the Holy Spirit going to do these things? Do you know? Your church is over here, and the Holy Spirit is kind of floating out there. The Holy Spirit, read Acts, right? Waiting, they were waiting for Pentecost. Those, all those Old Testament promises, they were waiting for Pentecost. How does the Spirit move? Now, the Spirit can move completely and totally without us, by the way. Dude in his parents' living room with a Gideon Bible. Gideon gave it to me, so I guess he worked through them too. God works through the church and through his word to accomplish these purposes of saving sinners from themselves, from themselves and giving them life in Christ. If you are a Christian, this is your story too. If you are a Christian, the carriers of the gospel are not elders or preachers or pastors. I mean, we are, but not exclusively. More than, not less than. You. You are a carrier of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are a carrier of the message that Jesus saves sinners. You are the ones that get to go. You are the ones that get to go tell people how to get righteous. And it's not by not sinning, it's by loving Jesus. That's what you get to do. And number three. Can't go without saying sin leads to death. A life rebelling against God does lead to death. There's no softening it. That, that's the reality of it. However, for Jesus is our righteousness. Why do you get to live? Because he died. Why can your neighbors live? Because he died. Why can you get to be with God? Because God came down to be with you, away from his father, dying in your place, to make you, having, to make you have access to God. And you didn't do anything to earn it. It is a gift. That's why he's the just and the justifier. Praise the Lord. Number five, God has judged. He's judged. He's called right and wrong. We all call right and wrong all the time. All the time. But he's the only one that can actually call right and wrong all right all the time. But it's not just that he's judged. He's judged. He's made it clear. He's revealed it. And he said, and there's a way out. His name is Jesus come and be saved. God's not hiding the way to get out of the way of that judgment. God's not hiding the way for us to be redeemed so we don't have to, to experience that justice. This is evidenced in the cross of Jesus Christ. This is evidenced in the coming of the kingdom of God. This is evidenced in the resurrection. You want to know the weight of sin? Look to the only innocent man who ever died on the cross. You want to look at the weight of God's love? You look at Jesus dying in your place to save you from yourself. You want to look at the weight of God? God is love comes from the Bible, by the way. I don't care who puts it on their bumper sticker. God is love. And John's gospel, or First John, where that comes from, makes it clear what love is, that we lay down our life like he laid down his life. He loved you first. Don't ever forget it. If you don't know him, Jesus is God. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus will make you right. Jesus will change you from the inside out. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus loves you, will save you, will forgive you, will change you, will make you right. 
There's no thing more important in all of eternity than that good news to you today if you do not know him. Period. I love you. That's the truth. If you're a Christian, which book, which system are you running off of? Are you, are you trying to play the beat the book game? Trying to out good your works? Does that make any sense? Or are you trusting in that other book? So when I stand before God, nothing to do with me and everything to do with Jesus. The same is true for you. Be free. That other thing is not 